0: Hi, Heredity Podcast listeners. I'm Mike Poynter, and this is the Heredity Podcast. Conservation genetics is a booming field of study and a vital weapon in the arsenal of biologists seeking to protect biodiversity. However, the organisms themselves have some tricks up their sleeves when it comes to preserving genetic diversity. To find out more about this, I'm speaking to Thomas Madsen fresh from a morning out catching snakes, about his recent heredity paper, Polyandry and Non-Random Fertilization Maintain Long-Term Genetic Diversity in an Isolated Island Population of Adders. Hi Thomas. Before we dig into the paper, could you introduce yourself?
1: My name is Thomas Madsen, and I'm an evolutionary biologist who did my PhD on natural and sexual selection on grass snakes and adders in 1987, that I had been studying them for many years. And uh, after that, I moved to Australia and started working on a project in tropical Australia, where I look upon water pythons and rats and whatever, the whole ecosystem. But I've always come back to Sweden this time of the year, which is March, April. Because that's when my adders come out, and I can catch them and see how they're doing.
0: Like you say, this is a study population you've been working on for a long time. So would you tell us about the system and why you think it's so
1: interesting? So far, I have two study sites in Sweden. One is in southernmost tip of Sweden, which is called Smigehuk, where I've been studying these guys now for 43 years and the other side is an island, which we are going to talk about today, called Hallands Wärderö, which I've been studying since 1984. When I found my main Adder population, which is here in Schmygehug, it's a totally isolated population. They have no contact with any other Adder populations and they are in a fairly small site which is just grassy meadows which means that you can catch all adult males every year so you don't need to use complicated equations to calculate how many there are you know how many there are and that of course made me realize i could do stuff with these guys because If I can say how many there are within one or two, maximum a year, then I have a good reference of what's going on over the year, from year one to year two, to year three, and so on.
0: Sounds super useful for looking at all kinds of population genetic questions. So what's the background that we need to understand before we get onto the new paper?
1: So when I started here, I was interested in how Mating success of males and females, how that affected their fitness. And because of the study site, which is amazing, just grassy meadows, the adders here are easy to find. And what I did, I put radio transmitters into my female reproductive female adders. And then I could monitor which males each female mated with for many years, from 1984 to 1992. It turned out that the, on female, on average, mated with four males. And I thought, wow, well, okay, that's interesting. Why do they mate with four males, four different males? And because I also knew that mating, copulating in snakes, is quite dangerous because it exposes them more to predation and at my main study site here and my island study sites the main predator are hooded crows so i thought if a female because she will get enough sperm from one male why does she mate with three more because she is then running a risk of getting killed but they did so In 1992, I published a paper because I found out that the more males a female mated with actually fertilizing her eggs, the better the offspring.
0: So females are increasing their fitness through polyandry, but this population wasn't doing very well at the time,
1: right? Yes, due to this very, very isolated population. I also did the genetics of them, and I used immunogenes to look at the genetic variation of these adders in this population. And I used something called major histocompatibility locus, which is one of the genomic regions that is important for immunology. And I found out they looked like a clone. There was hardly any difference. All of them looked the same. And I thought, what the heck is going on here? So what I did, I brought back, the females had radios inside them. So I brought them back to my department in Lund to give birth. And in 1984, about 15% of the babies were malformed. In 1991, 80% were malformed. And I realized this population is going to come, become extinct because I could just plot how the numbers were going down. The mortality of the adults was the same, but there was no recruitment, none. And adders have an annual mortality rate between 30 and 40%. So if you have a population of 10 adders, you need to have three or four coming in every year. Otherwise, the population will just go down. And that's what it did. So in 1991 I realized this population will be gone in 1998 and so I went up 100 kilometers north and caught 10 males. Then I drove further north and 300 kilometers north and caught 10 more males. So I had 20 males that I released in this study site in 1991, 92, and Then I had radios in my females, so I could see who they mated with. And they made these new males I introduced, they had no problems here. And then I brought back my females to the lab and there were no malformed offspring. They were all fine. And the reason I didn't bring in females was that because if I brought in females and you got more babies, that could be simply just because the females are giving birth to more babies. But by just bringing males, the only thing I did was to introduce novel genes, or rather alleles, into the population. And since then, this population has exploded and is now has the highest genetic diversity of any other population I've looked at, and they are doing just fine.
0: So this Smigahook population has had a genetic rescue and now has high diversity. What about the island population?
1: Then I also worked on a population of adders on an island, which is situated about 100 kilometers north of here and three kilometers from the mainland. And when I looked at the genetic diversity of my Smigahook adders, that's the mainland population, they all looked like a clone. But on the island, they were super variable. I thought, what the heck? Because I knew this island has been isolated for 6,000 years. And the genetic diversity on MHC class 1 loci was super high. It was just, wow, what the heck is going on here? So I thought, my God, here we have a population which has been isolated, similar to my smygerhook population. But this one has an enormously high genetic diversity. How come? And then I thought, well, this has to be investigated.
0: And that's exactly what you're doing in this new paper.
1: I left it for many, many years, but I continue to take uh, blood samples from the adders on both my main study site and on the island. And now we have a novel way of looking at genetic diversity, where we look at single nucleotide polymorphism. So I did that on both populations. So I compared my genetically restored Smygehug population to the island population. And there, were no, there was no difference. There was just as high genetic diversity on the island as in my restored population here in Smygehook.
0: So what could be causing this?
1: Well, I thought, okay, it could be that some adders swim from the mainland to the island. It's only three kilometers across. But the water is salty and adders don't like salt water. So I caught a mob of adders which are just on the shore to the island and did the genetics of those. And then I compared the genetics of the ones from the mainland, very close to the island, to the island. And they were not related at all. They had nothing. There has been no gene flow for yonks. They were completely different. They were just, if you look at them as clusters, the one on the island and one on the adjacent mainland was just as different as those down here, which is 100 kilometers south, where they have all been mixed like, per, oh, you know, they are. And so I knew there is no migration. The reason why these adders on the island has have been able to keep their genet- genetic diversity is not due to migration. There could be occasionally, let's say, one a year or one every five years or one every 10 years. But no, they were, they were... Distinct. They were not affected at all by migration. And then I thought, what? The, this is really interesting. And what I knew from my adders down here in Smyggehuk was that the more, fem- more males a female mated with, the better her offspring. Although here it was a catastrophe, anyhow, because they were also similar. So then I thought, okay, let's start. So I had a PhD student. We started working on sand lizards in Sweden where I genotyped all the... We did lots of lab matings. And we could see that if we mated a female sand lizard with a male that was similar to her, the babies or the eggs were...
0: I think what Thomas meant to say here was that the offspring had very low survival.
1: If we did the same with a... a a male that was different on MHC, the babies were fine. Okay, so then we mated these same females with two males, one that was similar and one that was different. And it turned out that only the different one, ones were the father. So then we found out that the egg, or you can, it will be ova rather, but we call it egg because that's easier. We could show that they pick the sperm that is different on their immunogenes to the egg itself. And that is then maintaining genetic diversity. And then I thought, oh, about my island population. This could explain it because they were so variable and and that okay, they are not like the smyger who us, but that we can return to why they are so bad or were so bad, because the population must have been down to three or four snakes for about 30 years. But that never happened on the island. And the island is a nature reserve, so nobody kills them there. there. And so then I knew that these snakes are, On the island had enormously high genetic diversity and I spoke to a friend of mine who is a mathematician and I could do a simple calculation in Excel if the fertilization is random then if you mate a female with one male that is the same and one that is different 50% should be sired by both males they were not they were sired by the male that was different. So then this was published. I published this in Nature 1992. And then people started thinking, because as you know, everybody said a male will increase his fitness if he mates with as many females as possible. But a female should only mate with, it's enough to mate with one male. All the sperm is there but then i found out no that's not true and uh, that was in 92 and then every since then it has been found in all taxa it's found in birds in mammals even humans that if if you so you have in birds extra pair copulations and why do they do it it's highly risky why do uh, lots of mammals mate with different males, females. And you find out there are mobs of studies that have shown exactly what I found with my adders: that the more males you mate with, the better the offspring. And with the sand lizards, we could show how this worked, that it was actually, it could be much more than the MHC. It's probably genome-wide differences. But in the old days, we used that as a measure. And then then I thought, okay, to continue with the adders on Hallandsverdorfer, because there's never been more than 200 on the island. Now I'm talking about adult snakes, you know, not babies, and just reproductive animals, and 200 animals, that's not enough to maintain a viable population according to conservation genetics. They should go They should, due to genetic drift. Genetic drift is virtually a random change in loss of genetic material. Just by random processes, they should lose all over the years and become less and less genetic diverse, but they were not.
0: Okay, so you've seen that the island adder population has higher diversity than you'd expect from the population size, and you know that that's not due to gene flow from the mainland. And then using the sand lizards, you've seen a possible mechanism through which genetic diversity could be maintained. What happened next?
1: Then I was lucky on the island, because in 1996, the population crashed completely. It went down to maximum 10 snakes. We still don't know what caused it. it, it that's, that's a different story. But for many, many years, from at least 12, 13 years, there were hardly any animals, any adders on the island. Very few. And then I had sampled, the blood sampled the adders before this crash. And then... After they came back again, I blood sampled them again. And this is called a genetic bottleneck, which means that because of low numbers, you will decrease the genetic diversity. And then I could calculate, we don't have to go into how I did that, that they should have lost about 10% of the genetic diversity from 1996. You have a... 10, 10, 15 years bottleneck. That's four other generations. And then look at them after when they came back. And there was no difference. They were just as variable after the bottleneck as before. That made me really think. Because then I realized if you have this enormous genetic diversity and you also have egg-picking sperm from the best, the most compatible male, we can say. And that is a measure of how genetically similar they are to one another. If the female can do that, and if even if there are few animals left, if they are genetically very diverse, a bottleneck won't have any effect at all. And that's one of the findings. Plus, as I said previously, conservation biologists always assume that, pop and genetics, if you think of Hardy Bimebag, one of the main components of that are random mating. And I think with random mating, they mean random fertilization. That is not the case. It is completely different. In, Most organisms that I know of, the female has this capacity to pick if you have a population with sufficient genetic diversity, it will not be so badly affected by numbers going down and whatever. That's what I showed over this bottleneck. And conservation geneticists looking at population viability analysis, they use something called effective population size, which is a bit hard to explain, but to make it simple, well, it's oversimplifying. It's in fact the, the number of animals that actually breed and mate with each other. It's not really correct, but it's, it's it's a simple way of thinking of effective population size. And it should be at least a thousand. Otherwise, the population will go extinct within whatever years and that's not true and if you think about how many populations there are out there that are not as an they don't have an any or one thousand any is much normally much lower than the actual population size and they still survive why i think what i found with this heredity paper is an explanation to that
0: That's super interesting. So what would you like to be the impact of this study for people to take away from reading it?
1: What I say in the paper is that conservation geneticists do have to rethink the way they look upon survival of threatened populations. Of course, if these populations, like the Hook one, are all a clone then they are gone and you can't put in new novel genes. So if you have a species where you look, look at pandas or whatever, you know, where you have small population sizes or, you know, whatever, there are so many of them everywhere in the world because of habitat fragmentation and so on, that if, the, if this population, the remaining one, has too low genetic diversity, they will go extinct. But if they have sufficiently high genetic diversity because of non-random fertilization, it's also called cryptic female choice, where the egg or the ova picks the sperm from the most compatible male, they will be fine.
0: This has been really fascinating, Thomas. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And I'll let you get back to catching snakes now.
1: Yeah, it's fun. I love science, so I will never retire.
0: (laughs) I hope you have a fruitful afternoon.
1: I certainly will.
0: To remind you, that paper from Thomas and his co-authors is called Polyandry and non-random fertilization maintain long-term genetic diversity in an isolated island population of adders. And you can read that now on the Heredity website. That was today's main paper but I also thought I'd highlight another one that I enjoyed reading from the current issue. During crop development, one aim of breeders is to combine sets of desirable traits within individual plants. One way of doing this is by crossing together related species to introduce new alleles through introgression. Studying how and where introgression happens across the genome can lead to improved understanding of exactly how genetic information is transmitted between species. This can be especially important in complex cases, such as when species are polyploid. In their new paper, Atakari et al have studied crosses between two commercially grown species of polyploid cotton. Their results show that the two diploid subgenomes accepted introgressed alleles at similar rates and that rates of introgression varied along the chromosomes, being low around the centromere, where there tend to be few crossovers. There were regions that seemed resistant to accepting introgressed alleles, and interestingly, these regions were different in each of the genetic backgrounds that represented the two original species. By identifying the patterns of introgression, this work highlights the challenges of using this method for breeding improved crops. If you'd like to dig deeper into that topic, you can read their paper, which is called Comparative Transmission Genetics of Intragress Chromatin in Reciprocal Advanced Backcross Populations of Gossypium Polyploids. That's on the Heredity website, along with the main paper from this episode at nature.com forward slash hdy. While you're there, you can also check out how to submit your own papers to the journal. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetics Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and you can follow us on Twitter at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm Mike Pointer and thanks for listening.